So today we have before us a little bit of a different Sunday. Um, first of all, today, as Stephen mentioned, is one of our monthly family service Sundays where our elementary kids kind of stay in with us um, during service time. As most of you know by now, intergenerational ministry is a bit of a soapbox of mine. I'm sure you've heard me talk about it many, many times and are tired of it. But it's a, it's a ministry philosophy that's important to us here at Littleton Christian Church. And one of the ways that we try to facilitate intergenerational relationships is through these uh, family service Sundays. Um, so these Sundays, they offer us an opportunity to step into the perspective of someone who's not in our age and stage of life and to see spiritual things um, from their perspective, to step into their shoes. Um, I always have some problems with these things. So kids, just so you know, um, there are coloring sheets and crafts and snacks in the back. Feel free to get up and grab those at any time. I promise I will try not to be too boring today, but I do understand if you need some crayons and a coloring sheet, that is okay with me. Sometimes I need those too. Today is also a little different um, because, as has been mentioned before, Mike, our pastor, is homesick today. And I have had all of one day to prepare the sermon today. <laughs> so, <laughs> what you're going to be hearing today is a lot of thoughts and notes that Mike very quickly emailed to me yesterday. I've put a few of those into my own words. I've kept quite a few of them in, in his words, tried to... Um, keep most of the stories that he put together that he was hoping to share with you today, and a few of my own thoughts thrown in here or there. So I know you're going to show me lots of grace today um, because you don't have a choice. This is what it is. So, and finally, today is a little different because it's our first Sunday of Advent. Yes, and I love the Advent season, and I'm so happy to be sharing it um, with this church family. Um, so for Advent, um, we're taking a little break from Genesis as we anticipate Christmas together, and we'll be diving into the four shortest letters in the New Testament over the next four Sundays. So, kids in the room, a question for you, something we've been learning about in our What's in the Bible curriculum on Sundays. What genre of book makes up most of the New Testament? Who thinks they know? What genre of book makes up most of the New Testament? Anybody? Anybody? Hands? Paul? <laughs> okay, that's all right. That's all right. I didn't really prep anybody. Most, <laughs> most of the New Testament is made up of, any adults in the room want to say it? Letters! Yes, thank you. Most of the New Testament is made up of letters. Jeremiah, you were almost there. I know. You were almost there. I could see it. Letters written between believers, from one believer to another, or from one believer to um, a group of believers, a church, probably meeting in someone's house, and that makes up the majority of the New Testament. Um, and those are the letters we're going to be looking at over the next few Sundays. Now, how do we get letters? Obvious question. How do we get letters in our day and age? The mail. Yes, thank you. It looks like we have a letter today. Should we check the mail? think we should. And look at that. It's like I knew it was there. We have a letter written to Philemon and his church from Paul while he is in prison. Should we read it together? Yes, I think we should. From Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-laborer, 
to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your house. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that the faith you share with us may deepen your understanding of every blessing that belongs to you in Christ. I have had great joy and encouragement because of your love, for the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. So, although I have quite a lot of confidence in Christ and could command you to do what is proper, I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. I, Paul, an old man, and even now a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus, I am appealing to you concerning my child, whose spiritual father I have become during my imprisonment, that is, Onesimus, who was formerly useless to you, but is now useful to you and me. I have sent him, who is my very heart, back to you. I wanted to keep him with me so that he could serve me in your place during my imprisonment for the sake of the gospel. However, without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your good deed would not be out of compulsion, but from your own willingness. For perhaps it was for this reason that he was separated from you for a little while, so that you would have him back eternally, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dear brother. He is especially so to me, and even more so to you now, both humanly speaking and in the Lord. Therefore, if you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. Now, if he has defrauded you of anything or owes you anything, charge what he owes to me. I, Paul, have written this letter with my own hand. I will repay it. I can also mention that you owe me your very self. Yes, brother, let me have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Since I was confident that you would obey, I wrote to you, because I knew that you would do even more than what I am asking you to do. At the same time, also prepare a place for me to stay, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given back to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-laborers, greet you too. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let's take a moment of silence to reflect on this letter. Father, this morning we, we are grateful for your word that refreshes our hearts, and we are thankful for this community that refreshes our hearts. God, we give this time to you, and we pray this for your glory. Amen. So we are obviously not the church that met in Philemon's house so long ago, so we might not immediately understand the purpose for this letter or the meaning of this letter. So let's break it down. This little letter, by the way, in case you didn't notice, we just read an entire book of the Bible. So, go us. Yes. That was the whole book of Philemon, my friends. This little letter was written by Paul. It was written for a man named Philemon, but also for the church that met in his house. <clears throat> much, of the new, 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 much of the New Testament is made up of letters written between believers, often addressed to the entire church. Philemon hosts his church community in his home, located somewhere in or near Colossae, probably. 
He's probably the wealthiest member of his community, and as the host, he provides the facilities, he provides food, the communion meal, and wine whenever the church gathers in his home. And this was probably very expensive, so this was a big sacrifice on his part. We can maybe understand if the church community might feel a little indebted to him and maybe less likely to challenge him because of his status and what he gives. This letter was delivered by a man named Onesimus, and Onesimus was largely the reason Paul is writing this letter. Onesimus was a slave in Philemon's house. He left without permission to meet with Paul. He becomes a believer through Paul. Paul really loves Onesimus. He says that Onesimus is dear to his heart, this letter tells us. And he wants Onesimus to join him, um, to encourage him and help him on his journeys. But first, he must address the issue of Onesimus' status, his status as a slave. So in the Greco-Roman world, between one-fourth and one-third of all people in the Roman Empire were slaves. One quarter and to one-third. That's a lot of people. Slavery in the Greco-Roman world was not the racially-based slavery common in Europe and the U.S. in the 18th and 19th centuries, but it would be wrong to imagine that it held any dignity whatsoever. Slaves were still considered property with no rights of their own, and while it was expected that masters care for their slaves and keep them healthy, they were, of course, subject to many abuses. Initially, in the Greco-Roman world, someone might become a slave through conquest um, because another power, governmental power had taken over as a criminal sentence for a rule broken or law broken or by being una unable to pay back money that was owed a debt. Uh, some might even sell themselves into slavery to escape starvation or total destitution. However, once someone was a slave, any children they had were automatically slaves. They were born into slavery. And so therefore, most of these slaves were just simply born into that status, into that station. It was fairly uncommon for someone to get out of slavery. A master in his will might free his slaves at his deathbed, though these people generally remained servants of the family. However, a slave could leave the master seek out one of the master's friends, maybe an equal or a superior of his status, and ask them to advocate for the slave to the master. The friend or superior would act as a broker, a mediator, the idea being that the slave might return to a better situation than before. This is what Onesimus does with Paul. And in this letter, Paul claims the role of this mediator. By social standards, Paul is or Philemon, sorry, Philemon is definitely superior to Paul. He has more wealth, he has more status, he has more connections, his family is better. But Paul claims a different status using spiritual currency. Paul boldly claims that because he led Philemon to Jesus, Philemon owes Paul his very life, and therefore Paul is his superior. Jesus, Paul seems to claim here, is more valuable than anything else we might think important money, status, or connections. With this spiritual authority, Paul turns the Greco-Roman world on its head. He says that because Onesimus is a believer, his very social status no longer matters to other believers. He is no longer a slave to Philemon, but a brother. Just as Philemon shares with his church community as he would his own family, so too should he share with Onesimus. Because Jesus came, because Jesus was born, 
Because God became human, we have a new family. Jesus changed the nature of family forever. Reading through the Gospels, we can actually see that Jesus' words on family are some of his most edgy and controversial teachings. They can make us very uncomfortable. He redefines family around himself and his father. He speaks of his followers as siblings, brothers and sisters. Paul says that as believers, we are adopted by God. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are a part of God's family, and we have a secure inheritance as co-heirs with Christ. Before you choose to follow Jesus, before Jesus is in your life, your life is very much affected by your nuclear or your natural family. I think we all know that this is true. We are very much the result of that family in culture, in status, in resources, in reputation. We are shaped by that family life, whether that life is healthy, broken, if it's abusive, or even if it's non-existent. We are shaped by those things. No matter where we come from, Jesus calls us to a new family, the church. In this new family, anyone can join, not through birth, not through bloodline or status or connections, but by faith in Jesus. God's family grows through the sharing and the spreading of the gospel so therefore, those without a partner or children have an important place and purpose in this new family. Jesus and the New Testament writers use a lot of family language when talking about the church. The familiar relationship categories of mother and father and brother, sister and child are woven into church fellowship and community. Because of our common faith, we are spiritual parents and siblings to one another. And we're called to treat one another as such categories call for. This does not mean the natural families are totally dissolved. Of course not. That's obvious. Parents still have primary care of children. Children still have primary care of aging parents. Rather, natural families and the larger church families are meant to be collaborators, not competitors. After all, natural families, faithfully following God and living out the gospel, serve as beautiful models for the family of God. And the family of God serves and steps into the places where the natural family might fall short or face circumstances that cause struggle, and pain, and suffering. The Bible tells us that the widow, the orphan, the refugee, and the stranger have very special places in the family of God. Those who have lost much in the human terms of family should gain much in the spiritual family. This is the radical relationship that Paul is calling Philemon to consider when Onesimus returns to his household. Does one treat a brother like a slave? No. Regardless of Onesimus' societal circumstances, he is a member of the family of God. So treat him like one, Paul says. When we commit to one another, as Paul is calling Philemon to commit to Onesimus, our familiness, I think, happens pretty naturally. The Holy Spirit honors our commitment, honors our faithfulness, grows the fruits of the Spirit within us and among us, our kids do this particularly well. I have a couple of examples to share with you that actually Mike put in his notes. So these are things that he has seen and that he loves and finds joy in, in our body. Our kids do this particularly well. Whenever we have a new family, particularly ones with babies or young kids, some of our older kids will seek them out regardless of any parent permission or knowledge and play with them and spend time with them with no hesitation. Um, and if Jada were here, I would totally, um, I would totally brag on her. Um, and they just love to do that. They just, they welcome little kids into our body. They're so sweet that way. When someone in our church gets sick, 
you all rally around that person. You cook them meals, you bring them groceries, you write notes of encouragement, you call, you text. When someone in the church goes through a financial hardship, we treat one another in the way a healthy family would. As well as we can, we don't let that hardship crush our family. And we might be tempted to look over the fact that this letter to Philemon was read publicly to his church community. <laughs> we might often think that our business is our own and not to be shared or put on to others. We're supposed to be independent, to take care of ourselves, to need no one. I just want to say this morning that that is a lie of the enemy. A lie of the enemy who does not want this new family of gods to be a witness to his glory and will sabotage it if he can. This new family in which spiritual wealth is more valuable than material wealth. This new family in which previous social status no longer matters. All believers are siblings. This new family in which matters that might have been private are now shared with the church community. On that note, I'd like to quickly remind us all that on the info table, you'll actually find information and applications for our alongside team and our alongside ministry. Our alongside team is a group of people here at Littleton Christian that tries to bring need and solution together. What our community doesn't know about, our community can't support and love. And so I encourage you to take a look at that. If you feel like this community could help you in any way, please, please get in touch with our alongside team, or anyone on staff or any of our elders. We want, to be, we want to do this together as a family. Family also means that when we hurt one another, when we make big mistakes, when we act on unhealthy impulses, we look to see that relationship put back together. We remain open to this, knowing that through the redemption of the gospel, the greatest healing and potential are on the other side of the conflict. In fact, Jesus bridges many seemingly impossible gaps. Because we have been forgiven an impossible spiritual debt, we ought to forgive all manner of other debts. We pray this each week in the Lord's Prayer. We could spend all kinds of time this morning going into all the many ways we might each need to examine ourselves or our church for the walls that we have placed between ourselves and other believers. As I was writing this, I did start to make a list, and that just got me really depressed, and I decided that was not what we wanted to focus on today. There's much that divides us in the world. Here's the thing, though. I have a lot of faith in the work of the Spirit in each of us to reveal those things to us and to one another if needed. Rather, I think what the Spirit would call us to do, rather than to dwell on the wrong, I think God would invite us to celebrate each and every person God has ever brought into this room, God has ever brought into our church family. I think he would want us to praise him and to celebrate him for his faithfulness to ask him to continue to help us, as Paul writes in verse 17, accept him as you would me. Lord, help us to accept all you bring here as we would accept you as the new family in Jesus. Keeping it short and sweet this morning, as a new family in Jesus, let us prepare to come to the communion meal together this morning. Let's pray. Father, we are your sons and daughters. We are brothers and sisters, a new family. Lord, we petition you this morning to continue to shape us and mold us into the family that you want us to be, that we, it could be for your glory and a witness to the, to the world. Lord, give us the strength and the perseverance to forgive one another, 
to hear one another and to love one another. And God, reveal to us the walls we might have placed between ourselves and other believers. It's in your name we pray. Amen.